This is Liam Hendricks, and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Byroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstown. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I am so excited to get the second half of baseball underway. I believe there's actually a game underway already. I have not looked at the scores at all. I've been preparing for this great show. Crosstown Crosstalk is, wel- is very excited to be welcoming in a very special guest. If you've been watching a lot uh, last two, three weeks, you would probably say... If you had to guess, Vinny Parisi's three favorite teams in baseball right now, obviously one and two every year, no matter what, are the White Sox and then the Red Sox. It's just the way I was brought up, obviously, in Chicago. And then Joey Parisi, co-host of the show, kind of, is also a big Red Sox fan, so it just kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. But the third team that rotates every year, right now the most fun team in baseball to watch, in my opinion, is the Baltimore Orioles. So with that, I bring in Fansided's Bird Watchers co-expert, Josh Lynn. Josh? How are we doing? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing very well. So first off, before we get into any of the meat and potatoes of Baltimore Orioles baseball, how did you get involved in fan-sided and writing about the team and your passion for writing about baseball? Sure. Um, I actually started with a site called Utah Street Report, which is uh, an Orioles-based uh, fan site. And then I recently joined Fansided in late June. Um, and then about a week and a half ago, the opportunity arose to uh, – you know, rise as a site expert along with uh, my co-expert Ben Schneider. So it's, it's been awesome so far. That's really good. You guys are pumping out great content all the time. I'm a big fan of the website. I, I tag every fan-sided website whenever I write a tweet about a team. But it's been more fun to do it for the Baltimore Orioles lately. And a lot of that is a result of what was a extremely long winning streak, kind of right in the middle of you ascending into this role. How does it feel to be a fan of a team that was gaining national attention for going on this crazy win streak? It's uh, new, for sure, uh, given the uh, doldrums that we've been in since 2017. But it's awesome. Um, I love the, the attention that we're getting. Uh, you know, we have a lot of good young players and, you know, still to come that haven't even reached Baltimore yet. Uh, so it's been awesome to, you know, share my content with everybody and, uh, you know, come along in this ride with the rest of the fan base and, you know, just baseball fans at large who are intrigued by what the, the club's doing. We have a guy on the White Sox named Andrew Vaughn, and Andrew yes. was the third overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft. And he's coming up and he's looking really good. He's looking like he's looking like the best player in his draft so far. And then all of a sudden Adley Rushman comes up and goes, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Don't forget about me. I'm sick too. What do you take out of his start to his MLB career so far? Just 
how impressive he is and how how easily he adapted. Um, you know, you, if you look at his slash line, you might not you know see that right away. I think he's, he's OPSing 722, hitting 222. Uh, he started off very slow, however, and you know, had to factor in you know the added responsibilities of a catcher, getting to acclimated with the pitching staff, learning all of that, working on his defensive abilities, uh, which have been fantastic. I believe, according to Baseball Savant, he's in the 90th percentile and above in framing and uh, pop time to second. Um, his plate discipline sticks out. Technical difficulties. Okay, are we back? I believe we are. I apologize for the technical difficulty. <laughs> Oh, no, that's okay. We got a pooch in the screen. I, I love that. Yes, this is my dog, Kendrick. He is Kendrick. about to celebrate his first birthday. There you go. Happy early birthday to you, Kendrick. So that's just weird when that all happens. That that doesn't happen too often. You would think it happens more than it does. And I think yeah. it was on my I think it was on my side, technically. Oh, okay. Once you went out, then I went out, and I was like, okay, so this is definitely me. Um, just definitely <laughs> – uh, you would think, like I said, you would think it happens more than it does. But right in that, we were talking about Adley Rushman and what he does for the Baltimore Orioles. Can you talk more about that? Absolutely. Uh, so I left off at his his plate discipline is the most impressive thing. Uh, his defense um, has just been, uh, you know, he's already one of the best defensive catchers in baseball, I would argue. Uh, his bat speed. Um, now, a lot of people have been making obvious parallels to Matt Wieters, given the high uh, draft pick status. Uh, his, you know, Weeders was a number one overall prospect as well, switch hitter. But the the two things that differ from Rutschman and Weeders to me are bat speed and overall athleticism. Uh, Rutschman is, you can tell he's an athlete, um, and he was a football player at Oregon State as well as a baseball player. Uh, the bat speed, the bat to ball skills are are much better in my opinion that, than that of Weeders. Uh, you know, the power has been there. Uh, so you know, he's he's been as good as advertised to me so far. That's outstanding to hear. I, I like when guys come up and what I was saying, I thought I was saying it to live people and then I realized I wasn't. Um, um, Adley is, he's the number one prospect in baseball for a reason. Obviously he's got a boatload of talent. And sometimes I think when guys like that come up, the baseball world that watches from like a casual perspective, they expect these guys to come in and just be Babe Ruth right off the bat, right? Like it takes time, especially when you're a catcher and you have those two roles of, okay, you're trying to be good at the plate because that's obviously what sells tickets and what makes people notice you more is, you know, hitting really well. But then when you're Adley Rushman and you're a catcher and you got this up and coming Baltimore Orioles pitching staff and you're trying to work with them and get them to throw strikes and be effective, that to me just makes things 10 times harder. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he did, did have a rapport with some of the pitchers on staff. He had worked with them in the minor leagues. I know Bradish, he, I believe he's caught. Um, but again, you know, mostly brand new pitchers to him, um, like Jordan Miles, obviously, he had never caught before. So, you know, we can only, you know, begin to comprehend the the workload that, that comes with, you know, advancing. And as a switch hitter, not just a hitter. So, you know, to focus as a right-handed and left-handed hitter and you know, get a, a feel of, you know, each pitcher's mix, what they like to throw, uh, what's most effective for them. It, it, you know, it just has to be a, a lot on him. And also just from a fan base standpoint, you know, he's our prodigal son, so to speak. So, you know, there's just a lot of hopes tied into him. So, the, you know, if, uh, you know, the slow start caused a bit of anxiety, but again, like you said, um, you know, improvement and success is not linear, certainly in baseball. And it's very rare to see, guys come up and hit the ground running right, right away 
And we've also seen guys that have hit the ground running right away that, you know, turned out not to be, you know, like I'm, Chris Shelton sticks out. I don't remember the Tigers first baseman in like 2005. Everybody was talking about him, you know, as like a up and coming guy. And then after the first few months, he just faded. Um, granted, different, uh, a little different background. He wasn't a top prospect, but, uh, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, steady, slow improvement than a guy, you know, do the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. And I think every player is different. You can't put too much stock in the future. You can't put too much stock in the past. I always say, what what happened in the last month? That That's basically the best way to look about it. And one thing I know about the Baltimore Orioles is behind Adley Rushman is a relatively respectable farm system. Is there anybody in that farm system that sticks out to you that maybe the average fan doesn't know about that could be in your brain somebody who uh, positively impacts this team in the future? Maybe not the not-so-distant future? Yeah, so obviously the two main headliners are Grayson Rodriguez and Gunnar Henderson, and they get you know their their fair share of praise, and rightfully so. Um, another guy that intrigues me is Jordan Westberg, who uh, is an infielder currently playing in uh, Norfolk, uh, AAA. Uh, he's a primarily second-base shortstop, uh, but he has uh, great power for an infield position. His uh, plate discipline is great. Uh, I believe his, his on-base is uh, over 100 points higher than his batting average, uh, and he's a co- he was a college bat, so he should be – I don't know if he'll if, if the Orioles can remain in contention and need an upgrade from say like Rugnet Odor, I could see Westbrook coming up and, and slotting in at second base. He's a good defensive player as well, so he's a guy uh, I've had my eye on since he's been drafted in uh, 2020, um, and I think he could you know become a, a pretty big talent for the Orioles uh, aside from you know the obvious names. For sure. So there are a lot of teams in the American League kind of bunched right there in the middle for that wild card contention obviously there's an extra team this year of course the division leaders right now are the minnesota twins the new york yankees and the houston astros but all of them probably outside of the yankees could flip throughout the season it depends i know the astros have a big lead but the mariners are hot but then you think about the wild card you got the seattle mariners the chicago white Sox, the boston red Sox, tampa bay rays Baltimore Orioles, and I'm forgetting a big one, Toronto Blues. Toronto, yep. And, uh, you know, with all those teams bunched in there and the Orioles kind of being maybe half a year, a year ahead of schedule in terms of winning this much, would you consider them buyers or sellers with the trade deadline, what is it, two weeks away? Yeah, so I actually released an article about this uh, last week. Uh, I would recommend a a pragmatic approach. Kind of definitely don't sell, Um, although I – I think Trey Mancini might go, um, especially if if a slide occurs post All Star break, which is obviously a you know contentious topic among Orioles fans because he's been, you know, the face of the club. He you know the last basically bridge to our last competitive window because he came up in that late September 2016. Uh, although he wasn't on the postseason roster for that wild card game in Toronto, but uh, you know he has been our leader through a really you know, quite frankly, bad era for the Orioles. So, and, and obviously given his backstory and everything he's overcome in the past few years, but uh, he's also has a a mutual option and he's been playing well. So, you know, I can understand if they do that move Uh, Jordan Lyles as well. He's been much better than expected. Uh, I would imagine that Michael Elias and Sigmadol had some Intel given their uh, previous connection in Houston that helped him improve. Uh, you know, I could see a contending team maybe making a deal for him. Now, I, I wouldn't expect a, a huge return for either. 
Um, but I don't, I don't see them making any, any huge moves. I know I've, I've seen rumors about Luis Castillo from Cincinnati. Uh, I, I just, Elias just seems to have more of a pragmatic approach. Um, and I just, I don't see him making any huge moves yet. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, the other teams around us in the wildcard race are, are more talented right now. Um, and that's not to besmirch the Orioles at all. We're just ahead of schedule. Um, then again, you could have said the same thing in 2012. But, you know, I, I expect us to be, you know, stay in the middle ground but, and not make any huge blockbusters, but I could see some pieces being built. It kind of reminds me of last year's Seattle team. And I know Seattle's kind of back in the same position again, but there's an extra wild card this year. And I, I think they have better players on their team than they did last year. Like it's an overall better roster. But, yes. you know, Seattle, they, they were sellers at the deadline last year. Didn't they trade Kendall Graveman to the – uh Houston Astros and then all the Mariners players were upset because it seems like they're always giving up early and then they still miss the wild card by one game so I think the Orioles could kind of be one of those teams that like maybe they do sell Trey Mancini but the guys on the team know that we're also not gunning for a top 10 pick anymore like we want to show improvement we want to show free agents that next year that they could be joining a team that you know, is really awesome. And there are some great players hitting the free agent market this season. Some of them might be like, hey, that Baltimore Orioles team, I want to pitch to that Adley Rushman kid. I want him exactly. receiving me. Like that that just seems awesome in terms of that type of perspective. Exactly. And specific to Mancini, uh, he's he's a primary DH. So if he were dealt, that would free up that space to use as more of a rest day. So Rushman could get more at bats. You could move Mount Castle there um, and then just, you know, mix and match any guys who you want to give rest to. So that versatility on the roster, I think, would be a, a plus, especially given, you know, the potential influx of more prospects like Westberg, I mentioned. Um, I don't think Henderson will be up for an extended period this year, but it's a possibility. So, you know, that that is an intriguing aspect of, of a potential Mancini deal. And speaking of Mancini, I know the Baltimore Orioles are an extremely historic franchise. I know they're in kind of a lull right now. So like the average casual fan of today might not realize their significance in the broad MLB spectrum. But I mean, there have been some great players to come through that organization. And I'm wondering where you think Trey Mancini will kind of be remembered in that whole mix, whether they trade him or not this year. That's not necessarily going to be his fault. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on him. I think he'll definitely be in the ilk of more at like Adam Jones, who not a hall of fame player, but he's just universally beloved by the entire fan base. Um, you know, responsible for so many great memories, you know, did so much for the community as has Mancini. Uh, and there's like a, an Elrod Hendricks would be in this group, Cal Ripken senior, you know, not a, a hall of fame talent, but just so important to, the fan base, the the clubhouse during the, the uh, period in which he played here. And, you know, he'll always have a place in, in Orioles history for sure. Um, and I would imagine he would, could be a candidate for the Orioles Hall of Fame at some point. What was their record last year? Did, did they already eclipse the amount of wins? We are getting close. Uh, I believe we won 54 games last year. So okay. we should be, barring a uh, catastrophe, we should get past that point Okay, I love hearing that because it's just one of those things that it's going to be a major improvement. It'll probably be a 20-game or more improvement. I think at minimum, you guys win 75 games, right? Like that, And that would be like with a slide in the second half. 
you guys are on pace for probably in the low 80s, right? And that's going to take you right up in wildcard contention through the end of the season. If you just fall short, I would still consider it a successful season. Why is this happening? Is it Adley Rush? Because it does seem like since he came up, they started to get on fire a little bit. But, you know, is there other factors that other people aren't realizing? You guys seem like you have three um, middle linebackers athletically outside in the outfield. Every ball yeah. that the White Sox hit to the gaps was caught by someone. It was honestly unbelievable. Yeah. But were they just hot that series or like what's going on? No. So the main, you know, constant throughout the season has been the pitching in general. Uh, the, well, the bullpen more specifically. Uh, Jorge Lopez, who pitched in the All-Star game, has been unbelievable. He went, I believe, the entire month of June without giving up an earned run. Uh, he had a, a little hiccup there at the beginning of the of July. Uh, he blew two saves against the Twins. Uh, Buxton hit a walk-off homer in one of them. But he came back against the Angels and, you know, regained his old form. He's been amazing. Felix Bautista, who is a giant, uh, is incredible. Throws 100 to 101 with a wicked splitter. But it's like a cutter hybrid that he cooked up in a lab somewhere. It's It's crazy. Uh, Ciano Perez is a lefty who throws 90 or, you know, touches triple digits. It's been, and a lot of these guys were waiver claims or, you know, like Batista would have been rule five eligible had they had the rule five draft. Uh, and I don't know if the Orioles would have protected him or not. Um, so it's just been a real cast of characters that has come together and put forth best, you know, best performances of their career. Uh, the starting pitching has been a little streakier, but it's been, a lot better as of late, uh, especially since Dean Kramer got uh, promoted. Uh, he's uh, part of the Manny Machado trade, of course, and struggled last year uh, mightily in the in the majors, but has come back and uh, has pitched very well. And all but he's had two uh, two stinkers of starts, but the rest have been fantastic. Jordan Miles has been consistent, uh, already over 100 innings this year, and um, you know I think Kyle Bradish struggled, but he you know, the peripherals suggest that. He was getting a little bit unlucky, um, also struggled with command. So, and he's currently rehabbing an injury. So I think when he comes back, he'll add even more stability. Um, but yeah, it's just, the pitching has stuck out and, uh, the offense obviously got a boost when Adley came up, uh, Mount Castle tore the cover off the ball in June. Cedric Mullins is, uh, I don't think he's going to be a 30, 30 guy anymore, but he's, you know, on pace for a four and a half win season. Uh, one of the best, you know, defensive center fielders in the game. So it's it's been a real team effort. I know that sounds cliche, but, you know, it's just everything seems to be firing at the same time. What did you take away from your guys' performances in the All-Star game? And was there anybody on the Orioles that you were like, ah, he was probably snubbed. I think he probably could have made it instead. Or were you content with the way it went down? I, I think Lopez was the right choice. Uh, Mullins had a case, but there are just so many talented outfielders in the American League that it was just it was hard. And it, especially that they do it by outfield and not just position, you know, individual position. Um, so I wouldn't say snubbed, but he's having a great year. Austin Hayes was on pace to be an all-star there for a little bit, but he tailed off near the end. But um, no, I, I, I think Lopez was the right choice for sure. He's been borderline unhittable all season and just a fantastic story. Uh, struggled as a starter last year, especially second, third time through the order. But all, you could see the stuff, you know, you could see the makings of a a high leverage reliever and he's filled that role perfectly. And I could definitely see him uh, having a role on the next competitive Orioles team. So, yeah, no complaints with that. I believe the Baltimore Orioles would be in second place of my American League Central Division. Yeah. 
you got the New York Yankees who lead that division by a thousand games. Boston has been in what five of the last six ALCSs or something, something crazy like that. Like the, obviously the four World Series titles since 04. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays have been in the World Series twice in the last 15 years and are always a threat to go deep. And the suddenly resurgent Toronto Blue Jays that kind of surprisingly have this like crazy rabid fan base. Now people in Canada are really starting to eat up baseball, especially now that the Expos are like way gone and it might be a while before they come back and everybody in Canada is just rooting for the Blue Jays. Does it bug you playing in that division? And, you know, do you think you can ever overcome it or the Baltimore Orioles can ever overcome it? Um, At this point, I'm just used to it, to be honest, because it's almost every year it is a meat grinder. Now, granted, usually not to the extent of this year, but I think uh, the schedule change next year will kind of mitigate some of that, uh, given that we'll play you know teams equal amounts. But yeah, it's tough because not only are they good, but they're set up to be good for an extended period. Uh, Toronto, especially, they scare the daylights out of me. <laughs> Just so many young, good players. Boston is intriguing because of the Bogart situation. Uh, if he if he's gone this year and they have shown. Uh, a penchant for letting guys like that go uh, that could change the dynamic a little bit, but the Yankee and the Yankees are obviously an older team and they have the whole situation with judge in flux right now, but they can generally buy their way out of any situation they run themselves in. And they're also in the Juan Soto race right now. Uh, if he gets dealt. So it's, it's just something that we're going to have to navigate. So it's just, you know, yeah, like I said, it's, it's just the, matter of uh, or just that's just how it is in the AL East and you just kind of have to deal with it yeah it's tough the two older teams in the division that you would expect to fall off the quickest are the Yankees and the Red Sox except they have the two biggest pocketbooks maybe in the American League to like you know use their financial situations to navigate out of so I I'm kind of with you on that um is there a team or I don't know how to word this I think the Orioles could, with this roster, ascend to the top of the division. Because like you said, it's going to be a different schedule next year. You'll play more National League teams. I think every team is going to play every team at least once. That That's going to balance things out a lot. It's not going to be a lot of, you know, this team's beaten up on this team, but that team doesn't have to play them, so it's not fair. Like I kind of think the Brewers and the Cardinals get lucky. They get to beat up on the Cubs and the Reds for – a third of their schedule, like that must be nice. So yeah, and the Pirates. Exactly. And the Pirates, exactly. And in a situation like that, I think the Orioles could possibly make noise for a wild card as soon as next year. So with that, do you see them being in on any of the big free agents coming off next summer? So there was rumored interest in Correa, Carlos Correa last year, and he has an opt-out after this year. And they obviously, you know, Michael Elias drafted him. So if he were interested, I could potentially see that happening. Um, this is a pipe dream of mine. I know Manny Machado has an opt uh, opt out coming up. I believe it's not this off season, but next. Uh, and just, I would love to see that just come back and uh, fulfill his prophecy, so to speak, of returning us to glory. Um, but you just have to look in historical context. We've only spent more than $100 million on one player. And that's Chris Davis back in the 2015 off season. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of a I'll believe it when I see it situation, but also the tenor of this front office is completely different than any that have, you know, come before them. They have a, a clear plan in place. They have, you know, very intelligent people working. 
in analytics, scouting, player development. So if there was a time for the Orioles to make a splash and, you know, come into the free agent markets as serious players, I think this upcoming period, the next two to three years would be the, the perfect time. That's awesome. So if people, before I let you go, I want to ask you this. For people watching that aren't necessarily catching every single Baltimore Orioles game, but they're watching on their phones, they're keeping track with just the league as a whole, what is it that you watch when you look with the Baltimore Orioles and you're like, man, that excites the crap out of me? What should the outsider be looking for in terms of Baltimore Orioles baseball? So two things come to mind. First is just how many good, young, talented players that we have that, you know, a lot of hardcore baseball fans will know because they follow you know, the minor leagues, Rutschman, uh, Grayson Rodriguez is still rehabbing his injury, but he could make a cameo. Uh, DL Hall, I think, could have come up a month ago and, and pitched well. Um, he could be up anytime. So talented young players with the possibility of seeing more. And second, they're just, you can tell that they enjoy themselves. They enjoy playing with each other. The camaraderie is, you know, it kind of reminds me of the 2012 to 2014 era, just how tight-knit everybody is. Um and, you know, as much flack as Rugnet Odor gets for his performance at times, you can, t- like, they love that dude. And he, he's, he seems to be, you know, one of the people in the clubhouse that they gravitate to and that lightens the mood. So if you want to watch a, t- a team with a bunch of good young players that, you know, enjoy playing the game, play fun, good baseball, I definitely recommend the Orioles. And you get to see him playing Camden Yards, which is gorgeous. Yeah, Camden Yards is awesome. So where can I find all of your work? So we are at birdswatcher.com. Uh, you can follow me at JJ Lynn JJ on Twitter, and uh, you can follow Birdswatcher at BirdswatcherFS on Twitter as well. And Josh, I can't express my gratitude to you making this last second appearance on the show. I'm very grateful for you coming on and talking Baltimore Orioles baseball with me. I do want to have you on later in the season to kind of recap what went on with the Baltimore Orioles. Maybe, just maybe. I think this is the only way it's possible is if the White Sox come out and end up winning the division. And then Baltimore sneaks in as a wild card and they match up in round number one. Then maybe yes. we could have you on two more times this season and get you going. And then we'll get you in the off season too. So I'm, I'm very thankful for you coming on and I can't thank you enough. Oh, absolutely. I'm thankful for you having me and I look forward to speaking with you guys again. Absolutely. Make sure you follow at JJ Lynn, JJ on Twitter. And of course, Birdwatcher FS on Fansided. And we will take you to a quick commercial break. Yes, it's too early. I think it's quite obvious that both he and Matt Eberflus are playing the long game here. I imagine they were given a pretty long leash uh, by George McCaskey, so they aren't looking to patch things together like the last regime did. I think expectations are quite modest this year because they're going to have a boatload of cap space heading into the 2023 season, potentially over $100 million. Now, they won't have many guys under contract, so that money's going to go fast, but Ryan Poles is taking this opportunity to build this team exactly how he wants to. I think fans will be patient, as patient as Bears fans get at least in 2022, because they want to see their franchise quarterback take another step forward, but also understand that this isn't exactly a Super Bowl roster on paper. I think this position was attracted to Ryan Poles because he saw the opportunity to build this team from scratch because of the upcoming cap flexibility.
Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo. Join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo only on the Barroom Network. What a great interview with Josh Lid. Wow, I like the Baltimore Orioles. That team is fun to pay attention to. They're fun to follow. They got some good prospects up in there. So had a little bit of internet connection early on. Doesn't usually be something that we have to deal with. But that's that's life with technology and recording podcasts live. So sorry about that. But we'll get it better next time. Better next time. Caitlin says, great interview. Thank you very much. Um, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking about the Orioles with Josh. So touched on it a little bit, all-star game festivities that went on over in Los Angeles, the Dodgers, Dodger Stadium. One thing about Dodger Stadium I've noticed, I've never been to Los Angeles. There's a lot of intrigue on debate on where Dodger Stadium stands in terms of great ballparks around the country. And, of course, when people ask about their favorite ballparks, there are people that like the two neighborhood ballparks, right? Fenway Park and Wrigley Field. Those are two stadiums that are planted in the middle of a residential. (laughs) And it's just a different vibe when you go there. And then you start thinking about, like, some of the, you know, other popular stadiums. Of course, Dodger Stadium, Yankee Stadium, Oracle Park in San Francisco. Those are, like, the big, the big with, like, corporate ones. I love me some guaranteed rate field because it's, like, a little bit of both. Bridgeport is a very unique town. It's definitely not neighborhoody like Wrigley Field is in or Fenway Park, but it's it's still in Bridgeport. Like there are some locals that live within walking distance and stuff like that. And I appreciate kind of like the mixture. It's like a mix of Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park, right? And not in terms of the field, though. The dynamics of the field are very vanilla, right? Like it's just 60 feet, six inches, obviously, the base. And there's nothing strange about the infield, and there's really nothing strange about the outfield. It's where triples go to die because there's really no, like, gap alleyways at Guaranteed Rayfield like there are in San Francisco or, you know, they got the short porch in New York. Just the the dimensions of Guaranteed Rayfield are very vanilla. But, you know, thinking about Camden Yards where the Baltimore Orioles play, where obviously we talked with Josh earlier, it's a beautiful park as well. But when Dodger Stadium's discussed on Twitter, there are people that just love it, right? Like, oh, Dodger Stadium, it's a top five MLB ballpark. It's so good, and there are so many good players that have come played here, and, you know, I just love the view. And then there are guys who are like, this place stinks. It's hard to get into. You have to go up a hill in order to enter the building in general, and it's not really close to anything. It's in the middle of nowhere in Los Angeles, and it's just traffic everywhere. That sounds horrible, but also like something I want to experience for myself because I tend to enjoy things more than I don't. And I definitely think once I'm in, I don't like extra exercise. That's not fun. Nobody likes climbing up hills to get to the stadium. Like I get it. But once I'm in the ballpark, I see myself enjoying it. A lot of critique around the Dodger dog. Who's saying this? I mean, people in LA, I'm sure to people in LA, a Dodger dog is delicious. Does Vinny Parisi, who lives within driving distance of Nana's or uh, Gene and Jude's or Ran Red Hot's, like, no, of course I'm not going to probably love a Dodger dog compared to some of the local stuff. But, 
you know, Dodger Stadium is what it is, and it held held the All-Star Game festivities starting with Monday night's Home Run Derby. The first round was pretty chalk except for one thing. Albert Pujols is, what, 40-something years old on his last leg in Major League Baseball, longest active player in baseball, I believe. I mean, the guy was in backyard baseball. Okay, that video game we all played on PlayStation 2, three separate PlayStations have come out since backyard baseball. And Albert Pujols is still playing, and he played in the Home Run Derby, and he upset Kyle Schwarber in the first round. And, of course, Schwarber is one of the best home run hitters in baseball in the last three years. I doubt any, I doubt more than 10 people have hit more than him. But there were people saying he was dogging it, letting Albert win. I don't buy that. Albert went out there, and he used the extra time to his advantage, and he won. He got smoked in the next round, of course, later in the, the home run derby. Julio Rodriguez stole the show, the Seattle Mariners' phenomenal rookie. Um when that guy steps on the field, it's just excitement right away, talking about Julio Rodriguez. And I actually watched him hit his first career home run while standing in line for Mexican food. I put the game on my phone knowing he was batting. And, yep, standing in line for Mexican food, Julio Rodriguez hits a dong. VP's happy for the Mariners fans, seeing their young guy come up and do his business. And he's probably going to win Rookie of the Year in the American League unless somebody just comes out of absolutely nowhere and is incredible in the second half. It happens from time to time, but right now my money's on Mr. Seattle Mariners, Julio Rodriguez. In the final, he faced off against Juan Soto. For those of you who don't know, Juan Soto and the Washington Nationals are on the outs. He will be traded. I don't know if he's going to be traded in time for August 2nd. That's just not necessarily something that is going to be easy, I would say. But there are teams looking at him. Of course, you got the usual suspects, the New York Yankees, the New York Mets, the Los Angeles Dodgers, all these teams seeing what they can give up to get Juan Soto. And there are some surprise teams in there. The San Francisco Giants are going for it. Obviously, they can afford them. They have the prospect capital to get them. It's just whether or not the Nationals and them can work out a deal. The Seattle Mariners, of course, Julio Rodriguez's team. Imagine if these two became teammates. Wouldn't that be something? And then I think the Mariners would be like a legitimate threat in the American League wildcard scene. So... You know, Juan Soto did prevail, though, and he beat Julio Rodriguez in the championship game to secure his first career home run derby championship. Now he's got a home run derby title, a World Series title, a silver slugger, multiple offense or multiple all star appearances. Did I say batting title? Oh, yeah. He led the league in batting average, too. That's hard. Um, I just can't believe this guy's only 23 years old. He's got so much accomplished. Is he 23 or 24? Regardless, so much accomplished. And. He's going to be a Hall of Famer if he stays healthy, right? Like, he's already a borderline Hall of Famer right now. And, you know, he's just so good. The Nationals are going to get a boatload for him, and he won the home run derby in Los Angeles. Um, Man, what would it take for the White Sox and the Cubs or the Cubs to land him? I, I don't think the Cubs have an MLB roster player to secure with their package. Uh, but you never know, though. You know, maybe the Nationals don't get what they thought they were going to get for him because every team – feels the same way, like, oh, we're not going to give up all that for one guy. Like, what would it take for the White Sox? The White Sox would probably have to trade Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, Colson Montgomery, and Oscar Colas, who are their top two prospects, and then probably something else. Like, would they have to throw Eloy Jimenez in there? Would they have to throw Yoan Moncada in there? It is literally that much of a haul to get Juan Soto. And people who don't understand that, I don't know what to tell you. And there's going to be someone who pays it. There is going to be someone who pays it because Juan Soto is that good. He can impact your team in ways that I don't think the average Joe understands. And it's just 
it's going to be so interesting to see what happens with this guy, but congratulations to him on winning the home run derby. That is incredible stuff. Later, the next day, the All-Star game, you had Clayton Kershaw on the mound for the Los Angeles Dodgers going up against Shane McClanahan of the Tampa Bay Rays. I wonder if he's related to the McClanahan that played on the 1980 Miracle on Ice team. McClanahan is there. The puck is loose. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Unfortunately, there were no miracles for McClanahan as he gave up two runs in the first inning to the National League. But the American League stormed back in the fourth inning and scored three runs thanks to -to back-to-back home runs from Giancarlo Stanton and Byron Buxton. That score would hold. The pitching was phenomenal from there. Um, The American League won their ninth straight All-Star game. And... We know the American League has kind of dominated the All-Star game there for a while. They won, what, like 14 in a row, then lost three in a row. Now we're on a nine-game winning streak again. It's just crazy to see what's gone on with those teams. And, of course, the, the guys that can't come from our hometown of Chicago that played in the game, Liam Hendricks and Tim Anderson represented the American League, and Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras represented the Chicago Cubs on the National League side. Hap drew a walk, didn't come around to score. Contreras went 0 for 2, but looked really good behind the plate and just had some fun moments with his brother, William Contreras, which is something crazy I found out. William and Wilson Contreras are the only brothers in Major League Baseball right now. That's crazy to me because I think about the other sports. I'm like, okay, does football have a set of brothers? Because the Manning brothers and the Long brothers were a part of this for a long time. But I'm like thinking, I'm, I can't think of anyone. Some Oh, I don't even know. Oh, the Bosas. The Bosas are for sure sets of brothers in the MLB. One plays for the Los Angeles Chargers. The other plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, in hockey, there's a crap ton of them. We remember the Sedins for a long time, but of course, there's Jack Quinn and Luke Hughes. There is uh, Matthew and Brady Kachuk. There is uh, Malcolm and P.K. Subban. There is – I'm forgetting a big one, I feel like, in hockey, actually – um, yeah, but that's besides the point. There are definitely some brothers across the league, and I, I just like when that happens. And seeing these two guys play in the lineup together, that's uh, that's what's it, that's what it's all about. And the All-Star game is full of storylines, and that was one of them. PZ wants to say Wrigley has the longest lines in baseball, but zero power alleys. Yeah, in order to, in order to get your power numbers playing games at Wrigley Field, you have to hit a home run or a double, right? Like, if you hit a triple, it's because someone made an error or you are just – alien level fast right like if billy hamilton hit a gap in wrigley field in his prime would he be able to leg a triple i'm not sure he would not without an error it would be a double with an error if he ended up on third base unless if the ball gets stuck in the ivy and the outer's too outfielder is too stupid to put his hands up and look for it instead i've seen that before but shit that's a double in an error in my opinion too so you know he also wants to know the question is does soto put the socks over the top uh it depends what they trade for him if the White Sox traded that David Kaplan, Chuck Garfine, Jesse Rogers proposed thing that they had for him, I wrote about it on SouthsideShowdown.com. If the trade was Montgomery Coles with Andrew Vaughn and Michael Kopech, well, Soto replaces Vaughn. He's 10 times better. He's a better outfielder. And then you have to replace Kopech. So you go out and you trade for, you know, I don't know, name a good starter that's going to be on the block. Not an elite starter. They don't even have to be better than Kopech if you're getting Juan Soto. But, you know, as long as you get some kind of, like, replacement-level starter to go with Cueto, Lynn, Cease, and Giolito, yeah, I do think that puts the Sox over the top, at least for the division and winning around in the playoffs. Juan Soto, go look at his playoff numbers. 
He's already a World Series champion. The Washington Nationals got rid of Bryce Harper, and they were like, I don't care. You know, it didn't matter to them. They had Juan Soto, and the rest of the team was good with Scherzer and Strasburg, and I believe they had the closer Doolittle, and, you know, there were just so many great players. Trey Turner was on the team. That Washington – oh, freaking the third baseman, Rendon, Anthony Rendon. That 2019 Washington Nationals team was awesome. And Juan Soto's got the experience. I think the things he brings to the table would be more than worth the return investment for the Chicago White Sox. You'd find a way to replace Kopech. You already replaced Vaughn with Soto because Vaughn plays bad outfield. And Jose Abreu, I would sign him to another two-year deal after this year. And nobody's touching first base if Pito's on the team. So that's where I'm at with that. I do think he puts the socks over the edge. The Cubs, on the other hand, if they were to somehow trade for them, they would still need a couple more pieces, but you would have Juan Soto to start building around, right? Where does, you know, how does he make Christopher Morrell better? You know, would they end up keeping Ian Happ if they traded for Soto? Would Happ be a part of the trade? You know, does Brennan Davis come up? Like, there are just so many ways to build around a guy like Juan Soto. He's literally that good. Is he the best hitter in baseball? He very well might be the best hitter in baseball. Shohei Otani is the best player in baseball because he's a top five hitter and a top 10 pitcher. I put You put those together, and to me, you're the best player in baseball, MVP, second to none. It's basically, in, if you're talking best hitter in baseball, you start to come down to guys like Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and uh, Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros. Those are my three picks outside of Soto. I'm probably forgetting some crazy people, too. Obviously, we haven't seen Fernando Tatis Jr. play yet this season because of his injury with the motorcycle. He's always in the mix when he's healthy. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the outstanding player for the Toronto Blue Jays, is in the mix as well every year. Hopefully, Luis Robert gets himself into that mix eventually. Tim Anderson doesn't have enough power for me to consider him like a top hitter in the league, but pure contact hitter, definitely one of the best in the league. Jose Abreu, when he's going, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, works out well. But, you know, that's it for the All-Star game. The American League wins again. And, you know, Giancarlo Stanton won MVP. I won a gift card by pick by calling that before the game started. That's nice. Um, it, to me, it was just a matchup thing. Giancarlo Stanton mashes lefties in the National League, had some lefties in their rotation that they were going to use. And you might have seen the picture on Twitter of Giancarlo Stanton's home run where the ball literally like bent. And he just literally destroyed the baseball. And, hey, he's a very good player. The New York Yankees are well on their way. And speaking of being well on their way, the Chicago White Sox ended the season or ended the first half pre-All-Star break portion of their schedule by winning five of their last six games. Yes, five of their last six games. They won the second two against the Guardians, then went three of four against the Twins, and they're at 500 at the All-Star break. After all that, after all that garbage in the first half, they are at 500 in the, at the end of the pre-All-Star break portion of their schedule. And the Twins, who they trail by three games in the division now, were a front-loaded easy schedule and a back-loaded hard schedule. And the White Sox are opposite. They got all the AL East teams that we complained about with Josh Lynn earlier in the episode out of the way. You know, I think they play the Rays one more time, or they they definitely play the uh, Orioles one more time, but they're done with the Yankees, they're done with the Red Sox, and they're done with the Blue Jays. The Twins still have to play all three of those teams, and the White Sox are going to be playing like the A's and the Tigers, you know, the the Twins have already played those teams, and they got their wins. So, you know, I, I like where the White Sox are at. I'm not sure where it's going to come once the playoffs roll around. But in terms of making it to the playoffs, I'm actually starting to lean more towards this team getting in. And then once you're into the dance, 
you might be able to dance all night long. You never know. As long as you get through those doors, you might be able to do it. And do the White Sox need to make moves to help improve their chances? A lot of people compare this team to the 2021 Atlanta Braves. They sucked in the first half. They were dog meat. Okay, they were under 500 at the All-Star break. Their best player, who's one of the best players in the world, the guy I forgot to mention when talking about the best hitters, Ronald Acuna Jr., he went down for the year. It's like, okay, well, what are the Braves going to do? They're kind of coming fourth place. Freaking the Nationals are going to be the only team in that division that finished behind them. The Mets are better and the Phillies are better. And, you know, who knows? Even maybe the Miami Marlins are better. Wrong. Okay, wrong. They ended up coming and uh, winning their division barely. They went eighty-eight and what? Eighty-eight and sixty? No, seventy something. I mean, they were under ninety wins, but they were hot. They went into the playoffs steamrolling and they won the World Series. But they made big trades at the deadline. The White Sox might need to do that. Okay, I don't think you necessarily need an outfielder anymore. If Eloy's healthy, you can use him as a DH. You can use him in the outfield. You have AJ Pollock now. When people used to call the right field the biggest need, they didn't have A.J. Pollock yet. Okay, I would like to see a second baseman, please. Anyone. Go find a new version of Cesar Hernandez, for that matter. It's better than Leary Garcia every day. Josh Harrison's good. You know, you know he's not good. He's, he's had a bad early start to the season. He's been fine lately, but I still think an upgrade is in order. And I don't think that's unfair to say that I want an upgrade at second baseman over Josh Harrison. I want Leary Garcia to be the 26th man on this roster by far, play when it's necessary, and make when it's necessary as least as possible. Okay, force Tony LaRusso's hand and not play Leary Garcia at second base. Trade for Whit Merrifield. Okay, whoever you can get, go do it. I don't want to see Jake Berger at second base. I don't. I want to see Jake Berger either playing third base every now and then when Moncada's not or hitting, designated hitter. That's it. That's all I ever want to see Jake Berger do. I hate seeing Eloy in the outfield, but he sucks at hitting when he DHs, and he's good at hitting when he's in the outfield. It makes no sense, but the brain is a powerful tool. Um, I just, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around not making another upgrade to this roster with the talent that's on it and the way they've been playing lately. Okay, you went out, Jerry Reinsdorf, and you forced Tony LaRusso on every single one of us. He's mostly been a dog shit coach the entire first half. I liked his last week before the All-Star break, except for the first uh, game of the doubleheader against the Guardians. He was bad in that game. But, you know, you force this manager on us. He's supposed to be your World Series move needle-moving manager. Give him some more help then, okay? Go get a second baseman. Give me another starter, maybe another bullpen piece. There are plenty of things this White Sox team can do with this contention window, and they need to go out and do it. Who do you trade? The only prospect I wouldn't trade is none of them. None of them. All of them are available. Colson Montgomery, he's a top 100 guy now. But, like, if he gets you something sick, go do it. You can win this division, and then you've proven you can play well against the New York Yankees. The Houston Astros are your kryptonite. You play them a couple more times this season, though. Okay, that can be fixed. All right, the Astros aren't what they once were. They don't have Springer anymore. They don't have Correa anymore. They don't have Garrett Cole anymore. They got Verlander back. He's sick. Uh, Tucker is just sick out of nowhere after how awesome he was last year. And then Jordan Alvarez is one of the best DHs in baseball. You know, the Astros, one guy leaves out the door and then they bring him in a new one and he always turns out to be sick too. 
So that's a team to be scared of as well. But, you know, you got to beat these good teams in order to win the World Series. You can't be scared of them. You have to go head on right against them. Make them scared of you. Make them scared of you. So hopefully the White Sox are able to do that. I do believe we do have one more show before the Major League Baseball trade deadline on August 2nd. I'm bad at math. Okay, we do. We have a show on the 28th, which will preview any trade that has not been made up to that point. Then the 2nd is a Tuesday. And then on the 4th of August, we will have our trade deadline recap show. I'm very excited about it. Make sure you're checking out all that good stuff. The Chicago Cubs, to wrap things up. The Cubs are on pace to have, well, let's do some math here. I like doing math. I'm bad at math, but I don't mind testing out the waters. The Cubs right now, as we stand looking at the at the divisions, hold on, the MLB app likes to act a little wonky every now and then to start off. It's been a couple days since there was baseball. Okay, the Chicago Cubs right now are 35 and 57. They have a 380 winning percentage. All right, so a 380 winning percentage times 162 games. The Cubs are on pace for 61 wins. They're on pace to go 61 and what is, is that 61 and 101? Yeah, 161 and 101. I mean, that's bad, right? That's one of the worst teams in Cubs history. Do I think they might go on a streak where they win 10 games? Or not 10, but if they go on a six-game winning streak, they probably won't lose 100. But also, like, this team that's capable of having a six-game winning streak is also really capable of having a 10-game losing streak. They've done it. They've done it once already. Are they on a losing streak right now even? That could get ugly. I feel like they did win one right before the All-Star break against someone. Uh, yeah, they won their last game before the All-Star break, but they're 1-9 in their last 10. Okay, and so, you know, what do you do with that team? What do you need Wilson Contreras for? You don't. You trade him away, you get prospects. What do you need Ian Happ for? You don't. You trade him away, you get prospects. Those guys can come up. If you hit on 50% of the prospects you trade for, you're a winning organization. You think about what the Cubs did in 2012, right? Theo Epstein came in, and he sticks up his hand, and he goes, for the number five, five years. They actually did it in four, but and they could have did it in three, but – you know, the New York Mets had other words and freaking what's his name on the Mets? Um, Murphy. I forget his first name. Something Murphy. He he decided to go off in the NLCS and just destroy the Cubs in that series. So, you know, it's just one of those things like you can do this quickly if you're smart. Right. You get you have Brennan Davis, Peter Crow Armstrong that you got for Javier Baez is one of the best players in their system. One of the best minor leaguers for me. I can't wait to see him suit up for the Cubs. He's going to be awesome for them. And you traded Bias for him. Bias sucks. Okay, that was the greatest trade that Jed Hoyer probably made last year. And Killian that they got in the Chris Bryant trade, he's came up and made a couple starts, a little up and down. That happens for pitchers in their first year. And, you know, that just happens sometimes. So if you make a good trade for Wilson Contreras, make a good trade for Ian Happ, maybe Kyle Hendricks lands you something because Kyle Hendricks is a year away from being the next Dallas Keuchel. I hate to say that to people who like Kyle Hendricks. He's been so good for the Cubs for so long. He won a World Series. He was always in Cy Young consideration. He won an ERA title. But Kyle Hendricks is a soft tosser that's going to lose his command a little bit, and they don't have sticky stuff to help save them anymore. So Dallas Keuchel, same thing that happened to him. He got DFA'd for the second time yesterday. Even the Arizona Diamondbacks didn't want him anymore. Kyle Hendricks, the soft tosser. You get something for him while you can now, Cubs. Trade Wade Miley. 
Okay, if David Robertson will land you something, you're a nice closer that a team can use as a setup man or a closer themselves. Don't do it for the White Sox, please. I don't want to take any more Chicago Cubs closers. Craig Kimbrell is a disaster. But, you know, you can make moves and make this rebuild just a little bit quicker for you. You have – you're the Cubs. You have these resources to bring in prospects and pay them and, you know, make these trades and say, Wilson – Thank you for everything, okay? You made it where we can DFA that idiot catcher that wanted more playing time. I can't remember what his name was. Miguel something. Miguel Montoya? No. Was that his name? The third, the catcher with David Ross, and then you had Wilson Contreras. You had three catchers. Contreras' ascension allowed them to get rid of his ass, okay? Like, we, we respect you, Wilson. You've been a great player for a long time. You're an all-star. you got a nice smile. Have fun playing on a playoff team this year. We're going to unload you for some sick prospects. Okay, I don't know if the Yankees will use him anymore. They like Trevino. Could the Mets go for Wilson Contreras? He, he'd be a great fit there. I know him and Lindor would probably be, you know, electric factory playing with one another in the playoffs. Uh, could a team like the Dodgers? I don't really think so. Will Smith is probably one of the only offensive catchers that's better than Wilson Contreras. Um, I obviously don't think an American League team. They could. I like the, the White Sox. I, I don't really know if he fits. Would you run Wilson Contreras with Yasmani Grandal as the DH? I guess that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I don't know. Just a team, the team will give you something for Wilson Contreras that can help you win later. And then we know you're going to be in the market for one of these $200 million shortstops this offseason, whether it be Correa, whether it be Xander Bogats. Okay. There are plenty of other players out there that Trey Turner is going to be out there. He, he, he kind of feels cubby to me, which sucks. But yeah, Trey Turner, he'd be the best player on the. Cubs 2016 team okay and that's just kind of the direction I see the Cubs going each team is going in opposite directions but ultimately trying to lead to the same goal which is being a winning team in this town and that's all I have for the baseball episode this week I'm so sorry that on short notice we canceled last week but sometimes that happens in the middle of the summer I'm doing this that everyone else is doing that and you know we'll be back for the rest of the season okay Crosstown Crosstalk is ready to roll through the second half of the season with great guests and great dialogue and outstanding stuff. Obviously the South Burbs hitman on Monday night talking exclusive Chicago White Sox baseball last week. We had Jake Berger. Okay. Jake Berger, second year player. I don't think he has rookie status anymore. He is somebody who's just very sweet to talk to him and his girlfriend, Ashlyn now fiance, they were girlfriend on the show. And then a day later, and I went back and watched the interview. And every time we talked about something marriage related, they had like a little extra smirk on their face. And I'm thinking to myself now, I'm like, Oh, they knew they were getting married the next day. Oh yeah. They're thinking in their head, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. So that was a lot of fun. Make sure you go check it out on the family of barroom network, television or internet programming. And then next week, bar down talking hockey. I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. It's the offseason. Is Matthew Kachuk going to get traded? Hopefully. The Devils have the best odds on points bet to land Matthew Kachuk. His hometown, St. Louis Blues, are in second. So the Devils probably have more to offer than Blues. But he's going to play for one of the Blues or the Devils, in my opinion. And then I could see a sneaky, like, Islanders coming out of nowhere and signing him. Or, like, I don't know. I don't think he's going to go to Ottawa to play with his brother just because I think he wants to come to the good U.S. of A. Um so we'll see. Make sure you're tuning into all the great networks or all the great programming on this network. I saw Mike North was back this morning talking White Sox Cubs, uh, talking about stuff with the score with their 30th birthday yesterday. 
um you got to check all this stuff out on the viral room network it's just so great and i'm so excited and happy to be a part of it and i can't wait for football season because once football starts rolling around the weather gets a little crispy and we start talking about every sport at the same time for a couple months and that is where i really like to shine you know from august to early november is where we start having three we have three sports for a little bit there depending on how long the world series goes and then, you know, even add basketball into the mix. I could talk some hoops. I'll be seeing so much red this season. You know, I'll probably go to a couple games. I'll probably buy – I kind of want to buy a jersey. Um, so I'm getting ready to see red myself. So when I become a four-sport athlete again is when things get really spicy. So make sure you're tuning in. And that's our show, Crosstown Crosstalk. I hope everybody enjoyed today talking about the Baltimore Orioles, the All-Star Game, the Home Run Derby, the White Sox, the Cubs – and everything in between. We will be back next week on all the shows. I just went through it all, and I hope everybody has a very safe and happy weekend. As always, for me, let's go socks for you. Say it. Go ahead. Say it. Thank you for listening. Another happy landing.